begin this morning with Joshua chapter 24, if you'll turn there. Joshua 24, and go ahead and stand with me, if you will, for the reading, and we'll read uh, most of this chapter. The title of this message is Choose You This Day, not Choose You Tomorrow, Choose You When You Feel Like It, Um, Choose You This Day Whom You Will Serve. Joshua 24 and verse 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, And led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also on Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and and ye came unto the sea, And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And you just notice it continues on everything that God himself is saying he's done for these people. And I brought you unto the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, uh, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove, up, drove out from before you even two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor. Notice that. A land for which you did not labor and cities which you built not. And you dwell in them, and of the vineyards and olive yards which you have planted, do you not eat? Or which you planted not, do you eat? Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. So notice here that these people who have come into the land of promise have other gods he's telling them put them away he's not saying don't be tempted to follow after them he's saying put them away put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in egypt and serve ye the lord and if it seem evil unto you to serve the lord choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the lord And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us 
in all our way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we serve God, or serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, for he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he had done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And then notice again, he has to tell them. In verse 23, Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to be in your presence this morning, to be in your house. We're thankful for the word of God as, as you've preserved it and given it to us. We just pray that you would speak to us in a special way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. So as I already mentioned, the, the title of this message comes from from verse, uh, verse 15, where it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. That evil there means irksome or troublesome. If it seems irksome unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. As we consider this, I want to consider first of all who was present. This was a meeting, if you look in verse 1, this was a meeting between Joshua and the leaders of Israel. When it says, he said to all the people, it means he was saying to all the men to whom he was speaking. It says in verse 1 of 24, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And I'll get more into that later, but I do want to notice here that it was the men of the nation of Israel and the leaders And then next it says that they presented themselves uh, before God. They presented themselves before God. Is that not what we have done today? Whenever we come to the house of God, whenever we come to worship the Lord, but as has already been mentioned in Baptist churches, we listen to the preaching of the Word of God, uh, preaching from the Word of God. Yes, I am up here as a human being speaking to you, but I pray that my mission is always to preach what it is that the Word of God has to say, not to take something in the Word of God, a phrase, and then turn it into something that I want you to come away with. But the goal is always to hear from the Lord. And so here we have presented ourselves before the Lord in this assembly, coming to the house of God, worshiping God, and now we are trying to hear from the Word of God. We had better recognize that we have presented ourselves before God. It's not a light thing. When you come to hear from the Word of God, it should be a sober thing. It should not be something you sleep through. It should not be something that you take as just a habit. But when you come to the house of God, this is a time where we present ourselves before God and we're looking for a word from God. We need to hear from God. And then Joshua says next unto the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. This is an important thing. The people have come and presented themselves before Joshua. The leader of Israel called the men together. But it says that when they came, they did not present themselves before Joshua. 
Joshua called them to come together, but they presented themselves before God. And then the next thing it says is that Joshua said unto the people. He didn't say, Joshua said unto the people, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the river, the flood. No, he says, he begins with, and Joshua said unto the people, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the, of the flood. And so that's how it is when we go and we present ourselves before God. We should desire to be before a preacher of the word of God who is willing to say, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. And when we listen this morning to this message, you should listen to it as thus saith the God of Israel, thus saith the Lord God. And so uh, too many times people have gone to the house of God to hear a word. They do look for a word, but it's for a word of encouragement from the man behind the pulpit. But no, it does not matter if it's myself or pastor or anyone else. It needs to be an anticipation of what God has to say for us. And a lot of times the good word that we need to hear, we do need to hear a good word. But the good word that we need to hear a lot of times is a painful, convicting word, is it not? And so some of the best messages that I've ever been in, some of the messages that have produced the greatest result in me, were at the time extremely uncomfortable to sit under. When even as a Christian you're sitting there and you're weeping or you're sweating or you're writhing because you realize that, I haven't been living right. I'm not as committed as I'm supposed to be. And so the reason for that is that even as the people of God, when God speaks to us, it can be convicting. And so he says, as we consider what God has to say to us, the message of God hasn't changed from back then until today. The same God who is a jealous God in Joshua's day is the same God who is a jealous God in our day. And the problem that people had back then in in indecision, in having idolatry in their life, is the same kind of people that we have today. They were the children of Israel. They were supposed to be the people of God, but they had these idols in their lives. And as Christians, a lot of times we can have idols in our lives, but God was jealous then and God is still jealous today. Um, He says here, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah and Nacor. The word translated flood here is from a word meaning stream or river. It's not the flood. He's not saying the great flood. Obviously, Terah, if we know anything, uh, Terah and Nahor were not before the flood. Uh, Terah was uh, um, Abraham's dad, and Nahor that it's speaking of here was Abraham's brother. And so he's telling them that this is referring to the great river Euphrates. When it says, it says repeatedly uh, two times here in the beginning of this chapter, and then later in verse 15, he says, your fathers which were on the other side of the flood. Well, if you read other translations, it says the great river Euphrates. And then, and that is what it is in the Hebrew here. If you look it up, it's the river. So when, we, when it says your fathers, which were on the other side of the flood, he's referring to your fathers who came from not very far away. They came from right over there in Mesopotamia, what is today Iraq. They were on the west side of the river Euphrates. That's where they come from. And so they were idolaters. It's an interesting thing to consider that Terah, the father of Abraham, was an idolater. And Nahor, Abraham's brother, was an idolater. And he says here, repeatedly, over and over, he says, 
uh, Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. What that does is that takes away from the whole aspect of um, Abraham was special in and of himself. The only thing that separated the Jews from anybody else is that God chose to call Abraham. And God called Abraham out of idolatry. He called him out of a family of idolatry. Isn't that interesting? There were other saved people, other godly people during that time. Last week we considered Job. Well, Job lived sometime between the flood and Abraham. And, but evidently from what it says here, um, that they had a problem with idolatry. And then consider the history as we know it. Um, Laban. Now, Nahor was the father of Rebekah. He was an idolater. And then, um, was not Laban, was a descendant there. And you come down and you have Rachel. And what did Rachel do when they left Laban? Jacob left. She stole idols from Laban. And so even down that line, there's nothing special about the Jews as far as who they are. They're no more godly than anybody else in their DNA. It's just that God separated and pulled them out. And now that these people here in front of Joshua are the descendants of Abraham. And there's, they are to be God's people. And God is a jealous God. And he's telling them, this is all that God has done for you. And um, I have brought you out. I brought your fathers out and pulled them out of that darkness of idolatry. And now I've given you a nation. I've given you a land. And so um, there is a sense in which men want to pass down their religion from generation to generation. They call it their heritage or um, the traditions and, and so forth. And, and uh, they want to keep their traditions alive. But you know, the fathers don't always know best. There is a fact, there is a, the reality is that oh, when it comes to spiritual matters, we are not to blindly follow and just blindly believe what our fathers did. Think of Lazarus. You remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? And, and the rich man went to hell. And it says he being there, he was in pain. And being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. And what was his, primary, his main desire? He knew he was never getting out of there. He wanted to send someone back. Send Lazarus to go tell my brothers to not come to this place. The people in, who are in hell, if your grandfather, your father, your great-great-granddad is in hell, they, would, they are pleading to please send somebody to tell my son or my grandson not to come to this place. But there are so many people that want to be like, well, what, so what you're telling me, if I believe in Jesus Christ, if my dad didn't die as a Christian or my grandma didn't die as a Christian, then that means that they're in hell. Yes, if that's the case, it is true. The Word of God says what it says. But here's the thing. They want you to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus was trying to tell us something there. It was Jesus that told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And, uh, but what was the said? If they won't believe the word of God and they won't believe the prophets, it says the, the one, I'm probably paraphrasing horribly, but the one rose from the dead, they won't believe. Right? right? If you don't believe what the word of God has to say and you can't believe what the preacher is saying in front of you, then you're not going to believe the one rose from the dead. But don't fall in the trap of just believing what your parents believed. Repeatedly down through history, even in Israel's history, 
The past generations were far worse than the current generations. Over and over, Israel had to repent of the sins of their fathers and get rid of the idols and traditions of their fathers. And Joshua in this passage is reminding them that your fathers were idolaters and don't fall into the same trap as them. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. In our nation, my prayer is that the young people of this generation, the millennials, I don't know what the term for the current generation is that's being born, but um, anyway, but the millennials and the Gen Xers and so forth, I would pray that the youngest generation will not spiritually and morally take after their fathers. We don't need to take after the majority of the baby boomer generation, which is now the grandfather's of the children who are around today. Because for the most part, that generation is the generation who began killing their children and legalizing abortion and going off into drugs and alcohol and everything else that went sorry with society is the grandparents of our country. And then my generation was even worse than that generation. And then the millennials are completely on their own without help. And the thing is, is unless people turn to God. But we need to repent from the sins of our fathers in this generation. The current generation needs to turn to God. And we need to see God raise them up to be better than their fathers. Also, when it comes to doctrines, don't just believe something because the fathers did so. Over and over and over, the younger generation down through Christian history, the younger generations of Baptists have had to correct the false teachings, if not outright apostasy and heresies of their fathers. If you study church history, you have all these groups like the Paulicians and going all the way back down, all the way up through history, where things would get more and more corrupt and more and more things are added in and you have to get back to the basics of just How do they do it in the Bible? And stick with that. And if it's added to and added to and added to and extrapolated out so far that we can't find a scripture for that, then we need to cut it off at the root and get back to things the way they are in the scripture and stop doing things just because the way our fathers did it. And so this is how over and over, whether it's called primitive Baptists or whatever name you would have it, it's always been about this vicious cycle of cutting off and cutting off and getting back to the basics of the gospel and what the word of God has to say about how we should do things. And so there's a dangerous trap of falling into the faith of our fathers, whether it's idolatry or added on religion. He says here, choose you this day. This is not a time and an age for indecision. We live in a time where in churches even, there's a lot of indecision. I'm primarily speaking today to Christians and to people here who are even church members. But this is not a time for indecision. There are people who a lot of people are serving God halfway. They got their foot halfway in the church, but they're not committed. And they don't really know whether or not they should take their kid to basketball practice or tournament on Sunday or whether we should take them to church. We don't know whether or not this school function should take priority over Wednesday night Bible study. And families are in disarray, and there's a lack of commitment. And and there's idolatry in our Christian homes. And so he says, choose you this day. In verse 14, Thou therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Notice that, in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, 
Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served and so forth. And he goes on. This reminds me, turn over to 2 Kings chapter 18. This reminds me of the words of Elijah several hundred years later. During the reign of Ahab. So this is the same nation, the same people. But they went from the time of the judges. The beginning of the judges in the time of Joshua. And we know the history of the judges, right? There would be one generation that would serve God. And then the next generation would fall, fall away from God, serve idols, and God would judge them. And then it was that vicious cycle continually. And then Israel decided, well, we want a king. Well, that didn't last too long because there was David and then Solomon, and then the nation was split. And then you had Israel, and Judah was more godly than the rest of the nation of Israel, but the most of the tribes of Israel, in fact, I don't know... Up until Ahab, at least they never had a godly king. And Ahab was more wicked than any other king. And that's where we are with Elijah. And it says in 2 Kings 18, in verse 17, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel. Now Israel's been in three years of famine at this point. He says, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Balaam. Now therefore send me, notice this is the prophet, this stood out to me as I was reading this, the prophet is telling the king what to do. The prophet Elijah tells Ahab to send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, so this is sort of similar to Joshua when he gathered all the people of, uh, all the people of, did I say 2 Kings? It's 1 Kings, 1 Kings 18. That'll help you a lot, okay. And so, uh, oh, But it's similar where he's gathering the nation and the king is present when this goes on. And he says in verse 19, uh, 1 Kings 18 and verse uh, 19, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto the people, and notice what he said. How long halt ye between two opinions? The majority of Israel was steeped in idolatry. The king was serving idols. Jezebel was wicked. And these prophets of Baal were were her prophets. There were 400 who ate at her table. So it was a state, like a state-sanctioned religion. And so, but the question here is similar to what Joseph or Joshua was saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. If the Lord be God, serve him. Well, Elijah says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And notice here the silence. The people answered him, not a word. They knew who the real God was. They had more history under their belt now than the nation of Israel did under the time of Joshua, they had David, they had Solomon, they had had the temple, they had all these things and they had seen what God had done for them and made them into a mighty nation and all these things. There was no question about who was God, whether the gods of Baal, what had Baal ever done for Baal? The gods of Baal had never done anything for those people. You know why people like their false religion? It's because God demands righteousness. 
Right? God calls man a sinner. God says, you need to be forgiven of your sin in order to be able to be right with me. But with false religion, there's all these ways in which we can, even the religions that are supposedly have the rules and the morals, like Catholicism and different even forms of religion, they still find ways for you to make up for all the bad, right? There's something that appeals to man. But the reason that the nation of Israel loved their idolatry is because these particular forms of idolatry embraced and promoted immorality and sin. And if they served the real living God, they would be held accountable to that real living God for how they themselves individually are as sinners. And man doesn't like that. So a lot of times it's not a question. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, it's not really a question in your mind as to whether or not Jesus Christ is real. It's not really about whether or not evolution is real or not real, whether there's a creator God. It, the question is, do I really want to serve the Lord? Right. Choose you this day whom you will serve, right? It's not a question about what God you're going to serve. but or it's, it's a question about what God you're going to serve, but it's not a question about whether God, Jehovah God, is real yeah. or not, right? And so um, man has a problem with idolatry, halting between two opinions. You might be saying, well, I'm a member of this Baptist church. I don't have a problem with idolatry. Let me ask you this. What is your hang-up so you cannot serve God wholeheartedly and without reservation or restriction? Is there something in your life that is between you and God? Is there something that... Now, if you can say, I'm fully surrendered, I'm full of the Holy Ghost, I am living full tilt for the Lord, there's nothing between me and the Lord right now. If you can say that, then I praise the Lord for that, and that is possible. Okay? I'm not talking about being sinless, but I'm talking about nothing coming between you and the Lord. That's possible. You can be full of the Holy Ghost. There is such a thing. But the thing is, is there are things that come up in our life so I ask you this morning, what is your hang-up so that you cannot serve God wholeheartedly? Sold out without any reservation or restriction. Today's the day. Choose who you're going to serve. Is it going to be the Lord or yourself? Jesus said in Matthew 6, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There can't be anything between you and God to have a proper relationship with God. And so, but consider the contrast. There is such joy and there is such liberty as a child of God I'm talking about in taking out the trash in your life, so to speak. In allowing God to remove the trash in your life. As the children of God and just follow the Lord in serving Him with a whole heart fervently. There's liberty in that. There is no guilty conscience in selling out for God. There is no wondering if the Lord might chasten me if you're sold out for God. If there's nothing in your life that you're watching or you're listening to or you're doing in an immoral way or whatever it is, if, if, and if you're serving the Lord and you always show up to the Lord's house and you want to be there and you give because you want to give and all those things, there's nothing nagging in the back of your mind. Wondering whether or not the Lord is going to judge me or chasten me because of this. There's liberty in selling out and giving it all to the Lord. So what's between you and the Lord 
today. Joshua was a great example to the men of his day, the leader of the nation. He had his house in order until the day of his death. And he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He puts the challenge out there to other people, but then he's able to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There is a sense in which it does not matter so much what others are doing as much as what are you doing? Right. What am I doing? Right. In the church, we get so hung up on what he's doing and what he's been. And, and she's you know, said this a while back and, and I don't know if she's even really saved because of this and this. No. <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is your issue? What, is, what are you doing? And Joshua was able to say, as for me and my house, there's a whole nation of Israel, but he could say, this is all I can control. And as a leader, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You won't answer to God for whether or not your friends and co-workers serve the Lord. You're responsible for you and your house. I want us to consider the man's responsibility here. Joshua was a great example to the men of his day as the leader of the nation. He had his house in order, as I mentioned, till the day of his death. It is the man's responsibility to make sure that his house is in order. The man is not just responsible for his own spiritual well-being, but he's responsible for that of his, that of his house. Joshua here, as I already mentioned, is speaking to the men and leaders of the nation in verse 1. Once again, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And so um, he's preaching to the men concerning the idolatry they are permitting within their own homes and warning them of the coming judgment of God if they don't put away their idols and serve God. I, I can't, well, I'll just mention it while I'm thinking about it. It's not, I know it's not in my notes, but I can't help but thinking about during the time of Jeremiah, at the very end of... Um, before all of Israel, Judah and all that's carried off into captivity. Before it's all done. And those people were being persecuted, or the nation is being judged so harshly. And if I remember right, it's when the, there was a, a remnant of them that fled down into Egypt with Jeremiah. And they began to, um, he was still telling them that they need to repent. And they need to turn to the Lord. And it was the women who were the problem. And the women spoke up and murmured against Jeremiah. And, they were, and the women were saying, when we were in Israel, and when we were worshiping this idol, and when we were worshiping this idol, then we had this to eat, and we had that to eat, and so forth. And the men are standing on the sidelines letting the women run the show. And it's a, it's, a serious, it's a serious problem when that happens. The man is to be the head of the home. It is disgusting and repulsive to hear a man say that he goes to a church that he knows is not right because either his wife or his kids like it. And I've, I've heard that. I, I was getting my hair cut one time, and the, and the guy who was cutting my hair literally told me, I, we go to because I asked him where he went to church. We were talking about the Lord and... And I asked him where he went to church, and he used to go to a Baptist church, and now he's going to the charismatic word of faith movement thing so far out there. I mean, and he admitted 
He's like, yeah, I don't like it at all, but that's where my wife and daughter want to go. That's not biblical or scriptural at all. That's not how things are supposed to be. And there's nothing but a train wreck coming when that's the case. You know, the first time a man followed a woman concerning spiritual matters, we all know what happened, right? Concerning spiritual matters, it spiraled out of control. And the whole human race followed into sin. 1 Timothy 2 says this, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. This isn't popular, even in churches. This isn't popular. But this is. We're here this morning because we're supposed to hear what thus saith the Lord, right? And so if I'm just reading Bible, then it's thus saith the Lord. This isn't the opinion of Austin who is a bigot. And so the word of God says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And here's why. This is the word of God. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And so it says there that Adam was not deceived. He sinned because he wanted to, but the reason that he did is because he wanted to please his wife. And it's been a thing. He loved his wife and he followed her into sin, but she was deceived. And men are susceptible to following what it is that the woman wants to do in spiritual matters. And that's a dangerous thing. Now, there are, uh, it's sad, but there are a lot of times that the woman is more godly. And I'm not telling the woman not to be more godly if that's the case than her husband. But men, it's your responsibility, right? And woman, if you are more godly than your husband, pray for her. But he's supposed to be the leader. And that's just how it's supposed to be. But um, men knowingly sin against God and commit spiritual idolatry because they want to please their wife and, and save their home. And they do so for their kids also. So many times I have stories of people who left the church and wanted to go somewhere else, even though they knew it wasn't a real church or whatever, because of their kids. And they were afraid their kids were in junior high and their kids are starting to rebel and we don't want our kids to hate church. So we're going to take them over here. And it ended in a divorce. One thing I'm thinking of, within a year, they were just divorced. And so it's a dangerous thing when we don't follow the way things are supposed to be. Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Now, you only do it so long as it's in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. In these verses, we have submission and obedience required of women and children. And leadership is required of the man. Leadership is not something you can opt out of. The man might be, well, I'm just not much of a leader. I'm just not much of a, you know, and she's just better at that. Hey, it's your responsibility. It is your job. It's not something you get to opt out of. And uh, um, one of the core problems in our society right now is that there's a complete rejection of any kind of authority. It's nearly impossible to hire good employees. I've shared some of this kind of thing before, but I didn't say you can't hire skilled employees. You can hire plenty of intelligent, educated people, but it's rare that anyone understands the concept of actually being under the authority of someone else. And why is that? It's because they were raised in a home where they were never told to do something that they didn't want to do. They don't understand what it is to have authority. You can't have an employee do a task unless they want to nowadays, you know, or follow certain rules because that's the rules. 
I heard of a seven a manager at 7-Eleven. He had to let a guy go immediately. The first day on the job, he had to let him go. If I had to fire him, because he he told him to clean the bathroom. He said, "I'm not cleaning the bathroom. I'm a cashier. You hired me to be a cashier." That's what I'm talking about, right? It's just people just do what they want to do, and and they're willing to lose their job over it. And so, um, a man as a man, or a man as the head of the home, needs to be a strong man. It requires strength and courage and fortitude to be a spiritual leader. And Joshua is making a strong statement here when he says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13, Paul says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. He doesn't say quit you like a woman. He says quit you like men and be strong. And so to quit in that sense means to become accomplished or committed. Be committed like men. There's only one other time that the word quit is used in that sense, and it's in uh, uh, 1 Samuel 4 when Israel was getting ready to fight the Philistines, and the Philistines were the ones that said, come on now, quit you like men, and basically they were going into battle. And it's that same term of man up in a spiritual sense. Quit you like men and be the man you're supposed to be in your home. And so, note here also as we close, Joshua does not say, he and all his house will be saved. He doesn't say, as for me and all my house, we will be saved and go to heaven. But what he does say, because he can't control that, but what he does say is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so what does this mean? It means that God saves people on an individual basis, and just because the leader of the household is born again or even both parents does not mean that everybody in the house belongs to God until God individually right. deals with them and saves them. However, they can serve and should serve God. The family serves God. On Sunday, they get ready for church and they all go to church. When they get to church, they all sit together and sing together and pray together and hear the preaching, the kids and the adults. What's good for the parents is good for the children. Sunday school's good. It's a good time of teaching. But the preaching and worship service is for everybody. Serving God as a family and receiving the word of God as a unit. And so in conclusion here, uh, without going on too much further, as we conclude here, Joshua twenty four fifteen, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it seem irksome or tiresome, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As I mentioned here, this evil here means tiresome or irksome. Does serving the Lord fully to you, if you're a member of the church, a Christian, does it seem irksome or tiresome? If so, there's something wrong with you spiritually. I'm not saying you need to be saved. But if there are things in your life that you know you need to get rid of, but to do so is irksome or tiresome, or serving the Lord fully committed in the church is something that you do, but you don't enjoy it, um, you need to get right with the Lord. Because, you know, the Word of God says, we know that we love the Lord if we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. And so if His commandments are grievous, then there's something wrong. We need to make a decision. We need to become committed we need to choose this day. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve ourselves? Are we going to serve the Lord? 
And I also want to close with this. Joshua did not give this advice. He did not say, I want to give you guys some advice before I die. He was on the verge of dying. He had said in the previous chapter, my time has come. These were his last words to the nation. And he didn't say, I want to give you guys some advice. I want you guys to go home. I presented my argument and I want you to go home and think about it. And you get back with me and let me know what you and your family have decided you want to do. That's not what he said. And that's not how things are with God. God doesn't say, think about it. I brought a message recently concerning the urgency when it comes to salvation. And there's even an urgency, Christian, in whether or not you're going to actually fully live for the Lord. It's not something that you just go home and mull over. And when we know that we're wrong with the Lord, we need to take care of it right now. This message today is not advice to go home and think about it. And then when it's a good time for you, go ahead and live for the Lord. He said, choose you this day, right now, right now, even in the service, choose this day whom you're going to serve. And I pray is you can say, and I want to be able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.